When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Ruck. In a moment, you'll hear a special episode recorded live from the News Building in London. On the panel, Shane Horgan, Jamie Roberts, Stephen Jones, Owen Slott, and your host for the episode is Stuart Barnes. Yeah, I was going to start with uh, something Steve wrote Sunday uh, in, the, in the Sunday Times. He talked about this tournament, and is it slightly devalued? And I don't know who of you read it, but he talked about it's a little bit like paying 100 quid to go and see Bruce Springsteen and you get to the concert and you find the Wurzels are there instead. <laughs> now I would will say that as a West Country man, Adge Cutler was a great sonneteer of Somerset, so Jonesy <laughs> got that wrong. But Steve, do, do you still feel that this, this tournament is about having the best players playing the best rugby or is it something different to that? Is it about the two Ps, having a party and the patriotism? Everyone is really looking forward to it. Everyone's been saving up and everyone's getting ready to pack and go and the players are, are, are reaching a peak and the coaches and the media and everything. Uh, and, and TV people are you know, p- um, turning their sockets on at the grounds, etc. And that, that, that can't, uh, that'll never stop, never mind who's playing. But I think uh, Jamie and, and the rest of us were talking beforehand. I can't ever remember there being so many injuries to so many starting players really is sort of, it's worrying. Um, it, it devalues it in the sense that international should be about all the players being the elite and the, and the first choice. This time it's not like that. So I think in a way it's devalued. In another way we get to see loads of other people we've never seen before. But it, it, it is worrying that there are so many people who can't play this weekend. Jamie, uh, you're the one of us left who's still going strong. Um, Steve says devalued. Um, is it realistic to expect these teams now to be anywhere near their full, full strength? Well, Wales have a lot of injuries, and I still wasn't picked, so I'm going to shit. They just want to go sideways now. They just want to go straight. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's troubling. Uh, the game, the amount of injuries I've seen this year, it's, it's pretty frightening. Um, and we were discussing earlier, you know, whether it's down to the laws or just the player loads. Obviously, after Lions year, you, you probably expect quite a few players to to get injured. You know, their load over the last 18 months or so would, would take its toll. But um, it gives great opportunity. It gives great opportunity to every country to develop strength and depth. Probably two years, well, 18 months out from the Rugby World Cup. And so, certainly in Wales, this case yes we maybe you know on this opening weekend we're not seeing you know Falatel, Bigger, Liam Williams, Jonathan Davis, these guys but players will have a chance to play at the highest level um, in the you know the best tournament in the Northern Hemisphere and we'll see what they're made of because Sh- ultimately they'll sink or swim. You know? Yeah Shane when you play for Ireland and, and, and you beat England and it's maybe not a an outstanding game but I mean do you, do you get the sense that your supporters in Ireland are going 
well done, you won, but shit, that was a hopeless game, or is it a sense of, it really doesn't matter, it's about the occasion, it's about being Irish, it's about being English, it's about being Welsh. I don't, don't know if you've ever been to an Ireland-England game before, but from an Irish <laughs> perspective, let me tell you, there's only one thing that matters. And maybe we've, maybe actually, it's an interesting question, because maybe um, the Ireland um, perspective has evolved a little bit over the last um, number of years with, with um, uh, some of the success that Ireland's had, but certainly not in that fixture. There's only one thing that matters, uh, and that's a, an Irish victory o over the English. And we've seen that, you know, last year. You know, Ireland, um, you know, they won the game in, in uh, the Aviva. It didn't mean anything for their championship. It, uh, all it meant was England didn't win a Grand Slam, and it was celebrated like we'd won the World Cup. So there's <laughs> good and bad, and that's maybe a little insight into the Irish psyche, uh, and maybe the Welsh as well. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, I do think, you know, with other teams, though, that has changed, and there's now a, an onus on, on this group of Irish um, players because of success they've had in the past and the, the standard they're playing at the moment is to perform at a certain level. And we saw that in the autumn. Uh, two years ago, there was a, a lot of talk about sort of conservative nature of Joe Smith's gameplay, um, the fact that we're relying on a kicking game too much, we weren't getting the best out of our players. That conversation's evolved, has changed after the summer tour this year and the autumn this year. I think we saw a more sophisticated, um, evolved gameplay from Ireland. It's not necessary from a, a public point of view uh, for that to carry over into a victory against England, but I think there's a broader question there. I think it's necessary for Ireland to play in that way if they actually want to beat an England at their best. Which brings us nicely to England. Owen. Uh, 22 wins out of 23 games for England, uh, but there is a perception that in 2017 England stalled as a team. They won the championship, but they didn't play a brand of rugby that a lot of people felt they'd need to win to play if they're going to win a World Cup. Do you see winning being enough for England given their injuries, or do you feel they have to kick on in how they play the game? I think to fulfil their long-term ambitions, which is obviously to win a World Cup, as Eddie reminds us daily, yeah. then they have to do more. Um, the, the perception that England have not played a great brand of rugby is one that, that dear old Eddie uh, also chucks out every day. He likes, to, he likes to talk about this as if he's been um, uh, bad, badly reported and badly treated for all his successes. And that's just part of the game that he plays, but that he plays on a daily basis because he's forever putting out messages and trying to influence the way people receive things. But there's absolutely no, no doubt in my mind that the way they finished 2017 is not going to win a World Cup. And he started 2017 saying that it's all about running the other teams off their feet and having the crowd on the edge of their seats. And I don't think it's re we've really had much of that. We had one game um, in the last Six Nations against Scotland, which now looks like a freak rather than the norm and it needs to be a bit more of the norm. It's funny Stuart because the, the, uh, their height under Eddie Jones was the three tests they played in Australia, yeah. um, be, summer before last. They were absolutely superb and they've not come remotely like anywhere near that ever since no. in my opinion. I, I think also they, they, they changed the way Northern Hemisphere teams were playing at that period of time as well. Mm. When Eddie came in there was a fundamental change in having in effect two first five eights something that I absolutely love that style of play. I think it opens up a complete uh, second wave of attack. And it was, it was um, revolutionary in Six Nations rugby. And you saw the results in that first year. They blew everyone away. Now, it wasn't the only aspect of their game. Selection, you got selection right. Um, I think the, 
the interplay between forwards and backs was certainly better, but I think that was the key basis for what they were trying to do. And, and probably since that Australian tour that you speak of, uh, they've been analysed more carefully by the opposition. It's not something entirely new, so it's, it becomes more obvious. And they haven't actually executed it as well as they did in that first year, bizarrely. So I think um, what we're seeing from the more um, forward-thinking teams, not just in international rugby, but also in, in, um, in club and provincial rugby right throughout Europe, the ones that are having the most success, are the ones that I think are playing you know, with that little bit of ingenuity, with that little bit of sophistication, that are, and, and those that are playing a two-first receiver game, whether that be with a, a full-back you know, coming into the line a bit more as a second receiver, or playing a 12-back and pass. Now that's interesting because you talked about the two receivers, and he loves the Ford Farrell access, but he also loves the ability to get over the gain line. When he joined England, he talked about wanting to have uh, Polynesian influence these big, powerful ball-carrying Tongans or Samoans, and he's missing Billy Vinopola, and he's been desperately hoping to get Tuolangi back. He's, we're hoping that Tio is going to be back. And, and <coughs> Jamie, they played with two playmakers at the first tournament in 2016. Have they got two lateral, and are they missing someone to really give them that ability to crash the game line? Rugby has changed even the last three or four years. Um, and again, we were speaking about earlier, defences just fill the field now. Um, you watch teams play now, especially at test level, they'll, they'll tackle, maybe one will compete, but the rest of the defenders will fill the field. And you look up and there is a brick wall of players. So the more you start playing a bit lateral behind the game line, you, you can often lead to a turnover and next minute you're conceding seven points and, under the post. So you have to go forward and, and there are many ways to skin a cap in that regard. You need big ball carriers playing flat on the game line, whether you do that three or forwards or your backs. I think England's played some great rugby with Ford and Farrell, but I think they just need a bit of a cover at 13. Um, Jonathan Joseph, he's a very in-to-out player. I think maybe if they had someone who's more out-to-win play, Ben Tail, to Alagi is a good foil for those guys. Um, but then if you can bring wingers into the game, guys like Jack Noel, who's, I think he's fit for this weekend, who can carry and get you game line and get you momentum in a back line, well then, it's, it's all about playing a game to suit your personnel. And when they've got those big centres fit and ready to go, you have to kind of mould your team around those. And so, uh, Eddie's been desperate to get Ben Teo in. Oh, yeah. For ages. Well, you, you started with Manu, as you said, and he saw t what Teo did in flashes during the Lions tour. And from the Lions tour, I think in his head it crystallised that he wanted Ford Farrell Teo as his, as, as his people to, to open the game. And he's put Teo in there. He hasn't played since October. He's put him straight into the England squad, and I, I think he'll be on the, if not start, he'll be on the bench on Sunday, and then if he does well, I think he'll play all the way through. I mean, what's interesting, Jamie made the point the game has evolved in the last three or four years, but there are certain um, essences of the game that don't change at all. And I personally feel England have got a little bit lateral for the reasons we've talked about. And I think back to this guy on my left here, playing in 2009 alongside Brian O'Driscoll. In a series, the Lions lost in South Africa, where we were fantastic. In 2013, where Jamie was injured, he came into the third test and swept through with a try. There's still a need, isn't there, Jamie, for that ability to put your forwards on the front foot and to get your half-backs playing, and it's, it is a worry for England. I don't think it's a worry. I think they'll, they'll have enough players to, to play that role. I just think the game now is probably I feel, going back to where it was seven, eight years ago, it's all about speed of ball and momentum. 
if you can go forward with the speed of ball, that is the, the, the golden ticket, really, to, to creating space out wide, because defences are just fan in the field. We're not seeing defences getting tight anymore. You go pass, 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 and, and you know make 30 metres down the, down the touchline. It's not happening um, now because teams aren't competing. So you have to be clever with your lines of running and support play, and, and the offloading game is more important now than ever. George Ford has been playing quite deep for quite a while, Leicester behind Ben Youngs. In contrast, when Johnny Sexton is allowed to play for Leinster when he's let off the leash, he's getting flatter again like he used to. I mean, do you see Ireland producing more in the midfield this year? Um, I think they're in a little bit of a tricky situation in the midfield this year um, because uh, Ringrose is out. If, whether he's out for the whole tournament or not, we don't know. Uh, we have to assume that he is. And that uh, means the selection of Henshaw is certainly there. And Henshaw is an incredibly hard-working um, talented player he's over the game line but he's more than that as well uh, he's kind of a, a, one of the cornerstones to what Ireland are doing but he's not actually in the I don't think he's the best player to play 12 for Ireland and uh, something that Sexton uh, before he went away to, to Paris and, and Jamie's experience of this is interesting he played extremely flat to the line under um, uh, Joe Smith brought three European Cups to Leinster he went to Paris the, um, the game in France is slightly different, and he, he actually he never played at that really attacking line again, as flat as he should. He went deeper and deeper and deeper, and it affected his international game. Mm. So he's come back to Leinster, and it's probably only in the last you know, year that he's got that flatness back to his game. And if you can get somebody outside him playing with a similar flatness, um, I think it, it, it really changes the dynamic. Now, this, if you can't, then if you have a very a fast, outbreaking 13 that allows you to cover, you know, cover a lot of the bases. But uh, you know, I've been sort of banging this drum by myself for a long time. There's a player called uh, Joey Carberry who plays full-back uh, for Lancer, and he, or occasionally he does. And I just think he's made to be a, a Gitto type number 12 to play at the, at, the, at the flat line with Sexton at the same time, two ball carriers, both being threats, but also being able to drag the ball across your body and um, hold the inside and then move to the outside. And what, what Jamie is saying is really interesting is that the defenses now are so, um, so early set and they're so laser focused and they want to get off the line with such speed. When they identify a, a player, take the ball to the line, it's almost immediately the ball is not going to go outside. So we can bring our light speed up, we concentrate on this ball. Or if it goes to a big inside forward, we can bring our light speed up and we can, and we can, we can knock them behind the game line. If you can change the thought process in the opposition's head, so you've got a player who can take to the, to the line and pass the ball, or you've got a forward who takes the ball and can deliver it out wide, then you change the entire dynamic of how a team sets up to defend. You put doubt in their mind and you make things really, really difficult. So whether Ireland can potentially do that with a, you know, a centre selection of, of Bundiaki and Henshaw. I don't think they can have that game, but they can still have an effective game and that may be enough to bring them through to the end of the championship. Steve, uh, Shane talking there about a centre who can take the ball up to the line at the last minute, hold them and then deliver the pass. Can Owen, that's what Owen Farrell has been doing for England. Is he going to stay doing that in the next <coughs> tournament, in the next year and a half? Or do you see him and moving towards ten? What you? What have you found? He's insisted um, that George, uh, that uh, George Ford is his number ten. He's insisted, insisted, insisted. Whenever you bring it up, it's almost like 
why are you asking me this stupid question? But you've got to, they've got to keep that in mind, surely, because, you know, there comes, comes a time when Elliot Daly is back. Well, you can't have Daly, uh, Ford and, and Farrell all in the same back, back division. And I, I, I think, in my opinion, I'd put Farrell there now and sort everything else out around him because they're getting more and more lateral. I think Farrell can, can, can step up. I think Ford is going back and back and back in terms of where, where he sets up. And I think Eddie ought to make the move now. By the way, it's bizarre that they're going lateral because the very reason that they're picked as a 10 and a 12 first yeah. receiver is to stop them going lateral. You know, and that's not to say to, to, to make the ball crash up, but it's to hold the inside and keep space on the outside. So the fact that they are going lateral now and, and, and that uh, Farrell is going slightly lateral is a major, major concern for them because I think the only way that England can win the next World Cup is with two first receivers and those two guys in first and second receiver. I think one of the, one of the English problems is the fact that Ford has, and, and there was Owen's piece Yesterday, I mean, you've written too many pieces to what you're talking about. George Ford? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did him yesterday, yeah. And Ford, conf confessed is the right word, he's been getting deeper and deeper, and I think Jamie would agree. If you're a 12, people just look at fly halves and they think, fine, they just pass the ball on, but if you've got a 10 who's standing very deep, it makes it bloody hard for you, especially with the way the game has changed now. And I think if, if Ford can get there, we're going to see Farrell running straight because I think isn't Farrell one of Farrell's greatest strengths? His ability to hold that straight line. Yeah, exactly. And again, back to Shane's point, talking about England getting lateral. Chucking Jonathan Joseph, who plays a 13, is very into out centre. Yeah. Um, so that adds to that kind of lateral aspect. Where the, if they've got someone in those wider channels, I know Mike Brown is pretty good at picking a line. You know, against drift defences, he'll attack the inside shoulder. Uh, whereas Jonathan Do Joseph doesn't really like that he likes to back his pace and, and uses outside break so it's all about it's all about combinations and it's all about getting the right balance in your back line and i think england have a depth of talent which allows them to do that i'll stay with jamie briefly you mentioned mike brown there i read mike brown sometime in the last couple of days saying i don't care what anyone in england thinks of me i play for eddie jones it almost sounds a bit like a cult now you play with Mike Brown now. There's, yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> who say, you know, he carries the ball in one hand, he does this wrong, he does that wrong. What is it about this man that makes Jones say, he's my 15? He hates losing. Um, I, I don't think I've met many more players who, who hate losing as much as Mike. Um, he's a quality player. Um, one of my favourites. <laughs> I'm not sure if many of you remember, he did an interview after we beat England in the World Cup in 2015. Mm. I'll never forget that interview he did. Um, and he, he, he loves the fact that people um, disagree with his persona. Um, he thrives on that, um, which to him proves that he's doing something right and he cares. And, um, and he's a top player. He's a top player. When he's form and he's fit, he's a top player. He's a great counter-attacking fullback. I think his kicking game is spot on. And defensively, he doesn't miss many. There's the last line of defence. And as I talked about the lines he picks as well, certainly against defences who are very, you know, drift defence, he will he will attack the inside shoulder and, and often cause line breaks. So um, he's a, he's a very important part of England's squad. Um, I'd, I'd much rather play against someone like Anthony Watson at 15 than Mike Brown. Um, and I mean that, I think he's a, he's a very solid player for England and a huge part of them, you know, if they want to win the tournament this year, I think if him, him staying fit is very important. Jamie, when, you, when you're a player like, like Mike Brown and you've, you've, been, you've had your right to play for England questioned so heavily in the media for two years probably now, yep. 
I mean, you say that's that he, he sort of has a sort of bring it on type personality, but does, at what point, or is it never with Mike Brown that he might start to wonder himself? Because that, that's, that's what I think is impressive about him, is that he does sort of take it on the chin and, and move on. And, but, but you know the guy, does it not hurt at all? Yeah, I mean, he's played in a team which has won 22 of 23 test matches. So he's not having a bad time. And so, yeah, and so obviously the English public will crave this beautiful, fancy rugby, but ultimately it's about winning. And they've, they've won the last two tournaments, and the, you know, we talk about Ireland beating it, they won't care how they win. Um, it's about winning, Test Match Rugby is about winning, and you find whatever way it takes to win the game. And uh, you know, Mike Brown, the way he plays the game, obviously Eddie sees a security in the way he plays the game, he's great into the high ball, defensive, he's very strong, pits great lines, and his kicking game is strong, as I said, he's a very solid player. Um, and he's proved, you know, process for England over the last few years, regardless of what the public you might think. I tell you, it's a good policy for a long career if you're playing the way your coach wants to play. I can yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably a smart move for him, and, and ultimately that's all that matters. And it's a similar, there's a, I suppose there's a, a, um, a parallel in Ireland with Rob Carney, who um, mm. periodically uh, is, is uh, he, he's, he's questioned about his, his uh, game and whether he's attacking enough or whether he's overly conservative. But he's an, you know he's delivering exactly what Joe Smith wants. And, and you know, occasionally, like before the game in, in Chicago, famously, Joe Smith said, you need a big one. And he delivered a big one. But uh, core skills are very, very big for coaches. And core skills for a full back are even more important. You cover the backfield, you make sure the ball doesn't drop, uh, hit grass. Uh, you've got a good punt, you're good under the high ball. You know, that, that, that carries a lot of weight, even in the modern game. Steve, we're hearing now what the coaches want. We're hearing what the players are giving their coaches. Let's get back to what we want now. Jonesy, would you have Mike Brown in this English team? And, and how many alterations do you think you would have to what Eddie's going to pick? Uh, are you convinced that Jones is going the right way in terms of selection? No. <laughs> <laughs> Had a feeling. It's, the whole thing, the whole thing be bewilders me because if you compare things that Eddie said on the Tuesday and then Thursday, it's, to it's totally different for a start. And um, I, I think he's, he's, he's mucking around too much. I, I, it, I didn't like it when a national squad came out and they were asterisked by someone. He said, what, what does this asterisk mean? And it meant he's an apprentice. Well, it's an international rugby squad. I don't think you should have apprentices. I don't think you should bother about the World Cup in, in 2019 until 2019. I think you should get all your procedures right and you should pick your first team. And when, when someone gets in the England squad who's only played two starts on the flank for Newcastle, there, there's something wrong. And I think that's Eddie being clever, but trying to be too clever. Can you add names? And is, is Chris Robshaw one of them? Yeah. Look, Eddie says, I, I, I'm not interested in club play. Well, he's ne obviously never watched Exeter because Don Armand is playing completely and utterly out of his skin every week, every week. No, so, okay, if you're not going to watch club rugby to pick the England team, fine, just ignore him. But there are people out there who are better than people in the squad. Jamie, club rugby to international rugby, there's a lot of people, a lot of journalists, they watch a club game and think that's a natural evolutionary period. You go straight through from there into international team, you get someone like Eddie Jones, you get Warren Gatlin, to an extent you get Joe Smith saying, it ain't that simple. What's your view on the, the golf required? It's not that simple, and um, you know I've seen great club players. I've played with great players, uh, players at club level who have gone on to play Test level and, and s sank rather than s swim. And the main reason? 
Um, I think it's a mentality. I think um, not just Eddie Jones. I think all the all the international coaches will pick their squad one dependent on the way they want to play and the way they feel they can win the game. But vice versa, they'll go right. My strongest players here. I will formulate a game plan to play with those players. But they'll also see players who have a huge amount of growth um, potential. And so, talk about this young flanker from Newcastle being one example. Eddie has obviously picked him because he sees a huge amount of growth in him, the same as Marcus Smith at Newcastle, a guy who he thinks if he exposes to the environment um, and exposes him with a cohort of players who, who will add to his game, that they'll see, you know, he'll, he'll reap rewards in the future. Um, but yeah, then again, the argument is, right, you pick your stronger squad, you win. You win for the now, but we must remember there's a World Cup in 18 months' time. So it's about having players in your squad who you think will grow. You know, some will grow quicker than others, but who will peak in 18 this months' is, time. This is all George Smith's fault. All, this, this conversation is because of George Smith. Because when Eddie was the Australian coach, he saw George Smith age, age 12 or something, and he <laughs> spotted his talent, and he thought, this is the guy that's going to take me places. He dragged him out from whatever level he was playing. He played like, he'd have played one game of super rugby level at that time, and said, you're the guy, and he got it right. And, and he's come to England, and he, and he thinks, and I'm not saying he hasn't, because he might be right, but that's why he's picking players like Gary Graham, who's had, had two starts for Newcastle, or Marcus Smith, who he, he saw playing school rugby with, um, with, with Brighton when, when, when they were on a training camp there. I suppose yeah, I think, is it, does he do it for his own amusement? I often get the feeling that that's the case with press conferences. I think he just gets bored. He throws something there and he throws it and see, go, and see what the reaction is. He was pulled up one time already this week. They asked him, you know, I think somebody, he was saying that, you know, we're already being written off. And somebody asked him the question, well, you know, who's been writing you off? And he goes, well, maybe I made that up. You know, so I think he, I, I think that's sort of sometimes a selection smack of it. it. Listen, it is a bugbear of mine because there's always this conversation about the next World Cup. And the, world, the next World Cup is important and it's great. But you know what? The, the Six Nations is an amazing tournament that you don't get to win very often and you get to win a Grand Slam even less. The idea that it's a, a Petri dish for a, a World Cup that comes up every four years, I don't accept it, I'm not willing to accept it. I think it's too brilliant a tournament. You ask people in the Southern Hemisphere and the tournaments they have what they think of the Six Nations and the history and the majesty that goes along with it. And you know what? They will, they will, they will speak about it like, you know, like nothing else. The, the World Cup has only been around for a number of years. The history of the Six Nations has been there for you know, 100 odd years. And to devalue it by, by bringing in a player who's had two uh, starts for, for their, for their uh, professional team, I think, is, I think is a bit of a piss take, to be honest with you. But isn't this the reality of it? I mean, Jamie came in and straight away he's saying there's a World Cup in 18 months, that's what players are thinking, that's what coaches are thinking, it's what Joe Smith is probably thinking, and there's a situation now, I think, you know, we look at this tournament, we talk about the majesty of the Six Nations, but to be honest, for much of the last 10 years, all the best elite international rugby has been played in the rugby championship, but the party, the piss up, the fun, everything around it has been the Six Nations. And has there not been a sense, Jamie, that occasionally we've been so obsessed with bloody in the English nose or nailing the Scots in Edinburgh that we've actually lost our way towards the bigger goal, if that is the bigger goal. The bigger goal of what? Of, of what you sort of intimated and what I believe, which is perceived as the World Cup. That's what international coaches, if you ask every international coach in the world what their biggest aim was, I think most of them would say performing well in the World Cup. 
I agree with Shane's point though. I, th I think the Six Nations is, is one of the great tournaments yeah. every year. It's where you want to peak for as a player. Um, but the great, you talk about those, those moments of you know, beating England and beating Scotland. It's, you get 80 minutes every year to, to have a chance to do that. Um, and you know, you know as a Welsh guy, for us playing England is, to mm. beat England is, is everything. Um, as a rugby player in Wales, not just for the players, for the fans, you know everyone, everyone, in the, sorry, to everyone, in, everyone in the country is watching it, whether it's at home or the pubs around you, you kind of get a sense of who you're representing as a, as a Welsh rugby player. But that's what makes the tournament special though. It doesn't, it's, uh, when you get into the Six Nations, the coaches will think about the World Cup and the growth of certain individuals, but as a player, it's about those, those, special, those special games. You know, Wales play in Ireland this year. You know, to go out to Dublin and, and try and mm. beat Ireland in Dublin is just such an amazing, amazing thing as a player. Um, and likewise with all the other countries. So, no, I don't think the party is uh, too soft. I think, I love, I love hearing the stories of the fans. I love hearing the stories of the nights out with the players. Um, <laughs> some of them make it on social media, but there's some, been some great stories down the years. Uh, I'm sure Shane will share a few Irish ones. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing, it's a great, you know, to see your teammates as well. I know a few of the lads who have been on the Lions tour in the summer to come back in and, and share a beer with those guys you would have played with in the summer and obviously going up against, um, you know, those big speeches and the post-match dinners. They're all such special moments in your, in your playing career. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One guy and one team to win the tournament. Who's going to be the main man? Who's going to win the tournament? We'll start with Owen. Um, right, thanks for starting with me. Well, I, I, I do actually think England will win the tournament. I know that's uh, going slightly against the grain because I do think it will come down to that final game at Twickenham. Um, I suspect that's, that will be the case. 
And uh, so if you want one guy who, who might be the difference, then yeah. I, would, I would pick Sam Simmons because all of a sudden he's looking like England's number eight and there's going to be a lot of pressure on that guy to do a job that, as we've said, Billy can't do, Nathan Hughes can't do. They need someone to do a lot of work in that, ha in that area. Shame. I'm not certain if it will, uh, it will may come down to that last uh, game. England versus Ireland, but I think there's, a, there's maybe a story that's going to unfold, uh, or I certainly did before um, some of the injuries that Scotland have, um, have uh, sustained over the last couple of weeks. I thought they were going to have a real say in it. I, didn't, I don't think they were going to win the tournament, but I thought they may have a big influence. As you said, that Calcutta Cup game in particular, and the game in Dublin as well. Um, they're, the Scottish teams can, can occasionally be a bogey for Irish. So I think yeah, there's a, the, it'll be a brilliant last day, but I think there's a story to be had before that. Um, I think one of the key, or the key man, um, bizarrely for Ireland, is, is, a, is a prop. And I, I wrote about it at the weekend, mm. Tyke Furlong, who... You love him. I you? love him. I love him. You know? really love him. I think I'm, I'm convinced he should have been playing in the back line. Uh, or, or maybe more convinced I should have been playing in the forward pack. Are I these sort of events in the newspapers, you can change your opinion yeah. every week. Are you just sticking with him? No, I do. I just... I, I remember when my last year in Leinster was his first year coming in. And uh, he's a really you know, charming, nice country lad. Um, but his skill set belies his massive frame. Um, his ability to act as, as first receiver, to judge the, the, um, the strength and depth of a pass, I think is remarkable. He, and to, to get back to the point that I, w I made earlier on, that he changes the way the opposition defend, because if a man with his mouth is running at you, you, can, you can't fail but stand your ground, because if you go soft on him, he'll, he'll play through you. Now, if you have to stand your ground, that means you can't link up with your outside defenders. And he has the ability and the guile uh, to link as a, as, a, as a link player, particularly between forwards and backs. And to watch him do that um, is, is something out of the ordinary. I think it's an evolution of what props are. And the, the props have, have been evolving over the last, you know, I'd say, eight to 10 years. It used to be just lock down the scrum and buy me a pint at the bar afterwards. That's not enough anymore. There's now this whole uh, panoply of, of skills that you have to, uh, you have, to have. Um, it started with defense, then it was you know, more ball carrying, and now what we're seeing that these players have to be linked players. And I, I truly think that he's, he's the most complete prop in the world at the moment, and that's why, I, and I think he is fundamental to the way Ireland play. And for him to remain fit, and remain active, and remain playing is, is key to their success otherwise. Steve, the 2018 Wurzel Six Nations. What he said. Your team and your <laughs> man. I would, have gone, I would have gone for Furlong and Ireland. I'm seriously, I think, I think Ireland will win it. I think they're too nasty, too experienced. They're too together. There's no mucking around by the coach by throwing people in from nowhere. Wales might be su surprising that. I'm not saying this because Jamie's sitting here, but if Dan Beggar and Jamie were, were 10 and 12, I think Wales would have as good a chance as anybody because for some reason, Warren has, has drifted away from what I think, what he believes himself, um, which, which, which I think is completely wrong. But um, I think Ireland will win it. I think they'll do it with a bit to spare, because I think England haven't got the reserve strength this year and have slightly gone off track. But um, for one player, maybe not the greatest player in the world, but I absolutely love Jack Nowell, because if you watch Exeter, he just gives them electricity on his own. He might not be Gerald Davis or, or David Duckham or David Campisi, 
but he's got a fantastic electricity that inspires people. And I think that if he's going to be fit this week, he'll be, have a starring role in Italy. Maybe you're playing with them against all these star players. Who's your man? I'm obviously having to back the Welsh. Uh, if we can weather the storm that is Scotland first up. Um, obviously we've spoken about their front five problems and I think we've got then got a Twickenham and you know, I've talked about Wales, England. I think we're playing an English side with a few question marks and that'll give the Welsh a lot of hope. You know, the fresh will be all on the English in that game and I think that serves us well. So I'll go for Wales and I'll go with, you know, we're talking about the start of play, Wales are playing the Scarlets are banging form. I think Gareth Davis, um, now Rhys Webb has been ruled out. Gareth Davis at scrum half could be seriously one to watch this tournament. He's lightning quick. I think uh, Wales loves to play with tempo, play with width, and he's, he's paramount to that. Thanks, Jamie. An articulate ending to what I hope has been an entertaining night. Even Steve with his dying voice. Thank you.